You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We're walking through the book of John. We're in John chapter 7 today. John chapter 7. And what's been going on is Jesus has slowly been moving his ministry into the public eye. And so he's done the feeding of the 5,000, he's walked on water, he's begun teaching. And in this process, uh, he's began to, began to get a following of people, but also the attention of the religious leaders of that time. Right? He was just a regular person, and all of a sudden he just kind of emerged out of, out of nowhere, and people began to have to make a decision about what to do with him. And that's true even today about things that aren't. Of, of, of a quality like Jesus Christ. We have to make a decision about what to do with cultural phenomena of today, right? There's this sweeping movement, and you're like, what, what do I do? Do I get involved with that? Do I speak against that? Do I engage in that? And I have that occurrence um, regularly when it comes down to other ministries. Sometimes there's a ministry, and it just ascends out of nowhere, right? You may have a, a ministry. I'll use Joel Osteen because he's an easy guy for me to shoot at because um, I'm from Houston. We have a ministry of someone like Joel Osteen, and typically I don't have to deal with every pastor in America, right? What, what the pastor at Third Baptist Church in Houston, Texas says has almost no bearing on anyone that I know. I don't have to comment about his teaching. I don't have to deal with it in any way, shape, or form. I can just ignore it, right? I don't have to think about the teaching of almost any pastor here in Rockdale, Texas, right? And they're my neighbors and my close uh, ministry associates. I don't have to concern myself with that because it doesn't directly affect those people that I'm ministering to or that I love in the ministry. But when a ministry ascends to the point of national prominence, uh, where you can't turn on the TV without being confronted by, um, by that face, you have to make a decision about what it is. Right? You just kind of have to say, like, this is not okay. Or this is fine for, for the church at large. And so then we have to make proclamations about people or about ministries um, for the sake of warning uh, the sheep around us. You'll see me do that from time to time, right? And I've done it personally to some of you time to time. If you share something on Facebook and I'm like, ooh, that, that like if you sh- typically it's ministry related, like your politics I, I generally don't have to get too engaged in. Um, but if it's ministry related and you share like, hey, listen to this guy's teaching, and I'm like, Ooh, no, don't listen to that guy's teaching, right? Then I may come to you and say, hey, we, I just want you to know, here are my concerns with this person, and it's pastoral. There comes a time when you have to make a decision on some things. And Jesus' ministry got to that point for the leaders and for everyone around him at that time. They had to make a decision. He became this kind of phenomenon that everyone knew about, and so they had to do something with him. He had these tough teachings right, about... Um, taking his body and eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He, he does these amazing miracles, walking on water, feeding the 5,000, taking a man who couldn't walk and healing him. But then he does those same miracles on days when he's not supposed to be working. Right? It becomes very complex what to do with the person, the minister, Jesus Christ. We sit on this side of the Bible and we're like, well, it's so clear what to do with Jesus Christ. But for the people walking in that day and age, He was an ascending religious figure, and they had to know, do we uh, commend his ministry, or do we condemn 
his ministry? And how do we personally, as regular lay people, respond to him today? And so we pick up, and that is the issue of the day in John chapter 7. We're going to read a couple verses and skip around a little bit because we're going to hit the whole chapter today. It says, John chapter 7, starting in verse 1. It says, after this, after Jesus' is teaching about the, the Last Supper, after Jesus' is teaching about uh, being with him, united with him, and people deserting him, Jesus went about in Galilee. He wouldn't go into Judea because the Jews, the leaders of the Jews, were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' uh, Feast of Booths was at hand, which is one of the major feasts in, in the Jewish religion. So his brothers said to him, these are his literal brothers, uh, go, leave here, go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, uh, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to him, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world can't hate you, but it hates me because I testify. About, uh, about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time hasn't fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. So Jesus' brothers, uh, these are his, his little brothers. James would be one of the brothers who, who becomes a leader in the church years later after Jesus' death, are, are gathered with Jesus, and they have this feast day coming up, and they say, hey, Jesus, why don't you go to Jerusalem, head on up to Judea, and do these miracles that you're so able to do and show yourself. Because no one uh, who, who wants to be known as a great teacher hides out here in the sticks of Galilee. You wouldn't be hiding here away from people if your ministry was real, if it had value. Go show yourself. His brothers were skeptical of his ministry and they wanted to see more. Right? They, they wanted more from him. They wanted to see more evidences, more signs, more wonders, more miracles, because they thought if you can keep doing these things and you do it in the prime time in the big, big city with the lights on you and everyone watching, if you'll do your miracles there and you'll do your signs there, then maybe you're something. Right? Instead of just our older brother Jesus, right? Who's a little bit quirky, weird, and never gets in trouble at home. Right? Instead of that guy... Right? You're going to be something. And Jesus kind of, kind of says, you guys can do whatever you want because no one, no one cares about you anyways. Right? Like, it's always your time. You can go up or not go up and no one's looking to kill you. He's like, I'm not. My time isn't here yet. But, but, the, but the point that I want to focus on is the response of his brothers. Right? They wanted to see more. And a lot of us, at one point in our lives, we wanted to see more. Right, right. You want to know more about this Jesus. We want to have a, a better experiential understanding of him. Some of us have actually asked Jesus for signs. Right? Have you done this before? Right. If you'll do this, God, if you'll, if you'll spare this person, if you'll um, fix this relationship, if you'll handle my finances in this bad season, then I'll whatever. You know, I'll believe in you. I'll trust you. I'll go to church, I'll give to the church, whatever it is, whatever your deal-making ministry is with God, right? And some of us have fallen, I've done this, right? This is not, uh, I remember uh, the first time I was let down by God, and I, I use that term um, just, just from my perspective, God did not fail me, um, God is working on a different scale than Matt Higgins, but I was like, 
I don't know, 15 years old, um, and, and a man who was, who was close to me named John Stiles died. Died of lung cancer because he smoked, you know, like a chimney, right? And here I am now, older, like, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense, right? You smoke that much, you're going to die. That's kind of the way the game works, right? Like, it says it on the box. You know, this is going to go this way. But as a teenager, I really loved Mr. Stiles. He was a, a, a deacon at our church, Baptist smoking deacon. Um, he was a deacon at our church. Uh, he loved the Lord, and he was good to me. You know, he lived, you know, a half mile down my road, um, which is like 100 houses because I lived in a subdivision. Um, so it seemed like a lot further than it is. Uh, but he just lived down the road from me, and I would go and dog sit for him or whatever he needed. And I remember when he was deathly ill, uh, I went to my room, and I cried out to God, and I said, God, like, if you'll spare Mr. Stiles, you know, I, I will never doubt you again. And then, you know, two, three weeks later, Mr. Stiles died. And it was a crisis of faith for me, because I wanted, I wanted God to come through for me. I wanted him to work on my time. I wanted him to do what I wanted him to do. I didn't care about, like, the, the general scope of, of history that God is working on. All I cared about was me, in my moment, in my pain, in my grief, in my sorrow. And we're all there, right? We all get there. We get trapped in our moments. And it's tough sometimes to pull our eyes back and see that God has a bigger picture that he's working on. And sometimes pain for us is part of the picture for God's redemptive plan. That's hard. For us, I wasn't ready for that at 15. It shook me. It really did. It was a tough moment because I was a new believer at 15 years old. It shook me to have to deal with the loss of this person uh, who, who I thought that God and I had an agreement on. Right? That me, I had bargained with God and God was going to come through for me because 15-year-old Matt had made a deal with God. Right? It's tough sometimes. But a lot of us, we want to see more from Jesus. And when we think there's people you'll evangelize, if you, if you go out and share your faith, there's people who will say, you know, if, if I could just see something, right? One of, the, one, of the, one of the famous atheists, Richard Dawkins, you know, said, well, you know, what if you're wrong, right? That was one of the questions asked him. What if you're wrong? What if, what if you die and you face God and Jesus face to face in heaven? What would you say in that moment? Richard Dawkins it, it knows scripture, right? He's, he's well-versed in scripture. He's just an avowed atheist. And he, and he said, why did you do such a good job hiding yourself? That was, that's his response. That's a, that would be his attack at God, even uh, at Judgment Day. Why, why did you hide yourself so well? He wanted to see more now. That was his desire to see more. This desire to see more is natural. We need to understand, we are not, like, naturally, we're not, we're not um, deserving. That's a word that I like to use. Um, we're, not, we're not deserving to see more from God than he's already revealed to us. And sometimes our, our purpose in life is to walk the pain that's in front of us to get to God's ultimate goal for us. And so you don't deserve to see more. You're not merited to see more. But sometimes we want to see more. Our response to Jesus when we hear about Jesus is, I want to see more. Then we continue on. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 10. It says, after his brothers had gone up uh, publicly, Jesus went up privately um, to the feast. And the Jews, verse 11, were looking for him at the feast, saying, where is he? These are the leaders. And there was much muttering about him, uh, and, uh, about him among the people. And some of the people said, look, he's a good man. And others said, no, he's leading people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly 
of him. And then Jesus shows up and starts talking and teaching in the middle of the feast. Uh, but here's, here's the deal. Right, Jesus is, is this uh, phenomenon, like I said, who just kind of emerged, and everyone has an opinion about him. People today still have opinions about Jesus, right? They, they think, oh, he's a good teacher, or oh, he was a moral leader, or oh, he's a myth, right? That's a thing out there, right, that somehow Jesus is a myth. Uh, we'll accept that, 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 you know, Socrates is a real person uh, with, with almost no firsthand knowledge outside of Plato, um, but we won't, we won't accept that Jesus is a real person with, with all of the extra-biblical evidence, Okay, um, right, right, but, but maybe he's a myth, some sort of like composite figure of ancient Near Eastern religions that kind of became this thing, right? We have all these opinions about him, and everyone has him. You go on the internet, there's a whole marketplace of ideas about who Jesus might be, and everyone has an opinion and a thought and a concern, and that was exactly what was going on in this day. At this feast, everyone's looking around like, where's this Jesus guy at? I've heard about him. I'd like to see him. I'd like to hear from him, and then Jesus stands up. And he begins teaching. And when Jesus teaches, uh, as we see all throughout the Bible, when he teaches, he teaches differently. He teaches with authority. He teaches with power. And so he stands up and he says, this is what we're doing. This is true. This is false. This is what God's will for you is. This is why you must follow and believe in me because I am God's sent son. Right? And then he goes and he breaks down their Old Testament rules and rituals and says, this is how they tie in to the new covenant that God is putting right before you. He teaches differently. So everyone's kind of put in a, in a place. They're asking about him. They're talking about him. And then he shows up and he begins to teach. And then verse 25, jumping down a little bit. Some of the people in Jerusalem therefore said, isn't this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this man is the Christ. And we know where he comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one's going to know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you don't know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him um, because his hour hadn't come. Yet many of the people believed in him and they said, when the Christ appears, Will he do more signs than this man has done? So the crowd is continuing to deal with this issue. Who is this man? What does he do? And they're like, well, he can't be the Christ because we know where he comes from. He comes from Galilee. He lives. We know his mom. We know his dad. Right? We know his brothers. They're over there eating over at the feast over there. We know this guy. How can he be the Christ? When the Christ shows up, he's going to be this figure from, from somewhere else that no one knows about. And Jesus is like, yeah. You know me, and yeah, you know where I come from, but you don't really know me, and you don't really know where I come from, right? Like, you think you know me, and you do know kind of where, where I emerged from most recently, but like, I've been around for a while, and I come from a place that's not here, and I'm coming to do business, that's God's business, right? Jesus says, I, I, you know me, but, but you don't really know me. And then they look into him, and they're like, man, he's different. Because when Jesus teaches, again, authority, but they just hear it. And they're looking around, they're like, no one's arresting him. They say they want to kill him, they say they want to arrest him, but no one's going to grab him. So maybe even the authorities, the leaders, the teachers, the people who are in charge of what's right and what's wrong also think that he's the Christ. The authorities don't like that concept. And so they hear people uh, talking like that, and so they uh, arrange to have him arrested. They get the officers at the temple, and they gather them together, and they say, hey, go and arrest Jesus. 
It's a pretty bold move, right, for, for John chapter 7, because we've got a lot more chapters left in this book. And they say, go and arrest Jesus. And so they, they get up, and they got their little swords, and they're going to go into this town to arrest Jesus. And they walk in there to arrest Jesus. And then Jesus begins to teach again. And they're standing there, and they're listening to Jesus teach, and they're like, yeah, I'm not touching that guy. I'm not touching that guy. I'm not going to arrest him. Jesus talks about rivers of living water, right? And I'll read that just for you. It says, on the last, verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. It says, look, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is he who, this, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed uh, in him were to receive. For as of yet, the Spirit hadn't been given because Jesus wasn't yet glorified. And then, verse 40, it says, When they heard these words, some of the people said, Look, this really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some others said, is, it, is, is the Christ supposed to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ will come from the offspring of David? It will come from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So there was a division among the people. Um, some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. And then the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why didn't you bring him? And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that doesn't know the law is accursed. Nicodemus from John chapter 3, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied to him, Are you also from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So here's, here's the deal. Jesus begins the teaching. The guards are there to arrest him. They hear about rivers of living water. They look at the response. And the people are like, He's the Christ. He's a prophet. He's, he's something else. Like, and they're, they're still confused. Division about what Jesus is. They go back to the, the, the chief priests and the leaders of that time, and they say, hey, we don't have him. And they say, why didn't you arrest him? And they said, no one teaches like him, which is kind of an indictment on them, right? Because those are the great teachers of all of Israel, right? Like, no one teaches like him. And they're like, you've been deceived, just like the foolish crowd that's accursed because they're ignorant, no one who knows anything believes in him. None of us who are well-educated in the faith, none of us who have great knowledge about what the Bible says and where things are going to happen, none of us believe in him. And of course, y'all would believe in him and the crowd would believe in him because y'all are stupid. Right? And that's kind of the, the, the takeaway. Right? Y'all are too dumb to recognize what we educated elites know to be true. And we're well-versed in the law, and Jesus can't come, be the Messiah because he comes from Galilee, not from Bethlehem, which is kind of ironic because he came from Bethlehem too, but whatever. Right? Like, like, they don't even know the person they're dealing with. But this leads us to the point of them having to make a decision. Right? They, these people saw him as a threat to their religious institution. They said, no one can be like him. He can't be the one. He can't be the one. But we have to make a decision. C.S. Lewis did a good thing on this in Mere Christianity. Uh, if you read the book, uh, see, Mere Christianity is a rough read, by the way. I don't know, like, a lot of people are like, hey, read Mere Christianity. And then you pick it up and you read, like, 
this is not Chronicles of Narnia. Like, this is a different level of C.S. Lewis right here. Like, I'm like a screw tape letters. It's kind of like my level of C.S. Lewis or The Great Divorce. Those are like my level of C.S. Lewis books. And, and Narnia as well. I enjoy those. You get to Mere Christianity, you're like, dang, he's really up here in, like, logic world. I'm not sure I want to be there. Right? But in Mere Christianity, he writes about, about this issue with Jesus. And he says, ultimately, we all have to are confronted with the reality of Jesus Christ. We have to make a decision among three options about who Jesus is. Right? He is either a liar from the pit of hell, telling people that he's the Messiah, telling people that he's the Christ, knowing that he's not the Christ, leading people to, to eternal damnation. Right? He could be that. He could be an abject liar. Right? He could be a crazy person, a lunatic, someone who's out of his mind, who has no understanding that he's not the Messiah. He thinks he truly is the Messiah. We could go uh, to downtown Austin. We could go under a bridge, and we could probably meet uh, the, the, the king of Spain. Right? You could probably meet the king of Spain under a bridge in downtown Austin because that person truly is convinced in their head they're the king of Spain. When I was doing a ministry in Richmond, Texas, there was a guy who would walk into our office every once in a while, and he had a, a, like a vest made of dollar bills, like laminated, like it was taped, but like all taped together dollar bills. He wore this vest, and uh, like he just had it. And I was talking to him one day, and he was not all together with it. Uh, and, and at the time, uh, George W. Bush was the president. And he said, George W. Bush owes me money. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, he owes me money. And he went into this whole long spiel about like, how he was like, some sort of like, the, the, the rightful like, heir to the United States of America. And George W. Bush had like, purchased that right. I don't really understand how it worked. But somehow, uh, W. owed him money. Uh, for ascending to the presidency against his will or with his wishes but didn't pay. Something like that. And I was like, oh, this guy's crazy. He's not like a little bit like unbalanced, kind of screaming at cars when they drive by. Like he's, he's legitimately crazy. Right? And, and, and Jesus could have been that. That's an option C.S. Lewis gives. He could be a crazy person who thinks he's the son of God, thinks he came from on high and just like taught and somehow fooled people into thinking that. Right? Or he could be who he says he is. He could be the Lord of all creation. He says those are the three options. Later on, a fourth option was given is that he's some sort of myth. Right? He could be some sort of myth. But here's the truth, guys. If Jesus is a liar leading people to perdition, like if that's what his game was, was he was just a wicked person leading people to perdition, like David Koresh, let's say. Just, just a crazy, wicked, evil person. All of his works don't, don't add up at all. Look at how he interacts with people. Look at how he talks to people. Look at how he chooses suffering. Look at how he chooses to walk the path before him to death and destruction for himself. That is not the, that's not the actions of a liar who's looking to benefit themselves. A liar will stand with the lie as long as it benefits them. And when it ceases to benefit them, will begin to walk away from the lie very carefully. I don't know about that anymore. Jesus, Jesus wasn't a liar. His, his actions are not those of someone who has some sort of spiteful view of other people to benefit himself. All of Scripture tells that. In fact, all the extra-biblical sources tell that about Jesus. He's not a, he's not a person seeking self-gain. He died poor in a very, very terrible way. And to get out of that, literally all he had to do 
was tell the chief priest when he was under trial, yeah, I'm, I'm not that. That's not what I would say. And come up with a somewhat plausible understanding of his other teachings, and he would have been let go. But he walked the path all the way to the cross to die for the sins of humanity because he truly believed that he was the Son of God, come to save the world. And so liars thrown out. So then we have crazy person who truly believes that he's there but isn't, right? Or we have Lord as the only options remaining. And if he's a crazy person, like, like I sat down with my dollar bill vested man, after a little bit of examination with a crazy person, you become keenly aware you're dealing with someone who's crazy. If you've ever dealt with someone who's actually out of their mind crazy, like you may have like two sentences with them where you're like, oh, okay, oh, that's interesting. And then you're like, oh, no, you're crazy. Right? It doesn't take long. It doesn't take a careful inspection of their life to find out that this person's mind isn't right. But that was not the case for Jesus. Right? His ministry went for three years under careful examination, close fellowship, 12 people followed him everywhere he went, closely watching everything that he did, hearing how he spoke, hearing how he reasoned. He is not insane. He's just not. Right? And if you, I was just say, if you deal with crazy people, and I, and I understand like crazy people may not be the right term. What, what, yeah, crazy people. People who are, who are just truly not well in the head. And, you've, and I'm not talking about your, your, your ex-boyfriend, right? Like, you're like, oh, he's crazy. No, I'm talking about legitimately, like, just, just people who, whose minds are, are broken. You know, in our culture today, it may be a drug or alcohol abuse, or it could be some sort of biological issue in the brain. Something's just messed up. Or the things aren't connected properly. When you deal with people who are mentally unwell, it becomes apparent very quickly that that's the problem. There's a mental unwellness there. Jesus', Jesus life is not characterized by someone who's mentally unwell. Right? He's always well. His thoughts are always crisp and clear. His stories add up together. You track them together, they make sense from the beginning to the end. And so he's not some sort of crazy, mentally unwell person. He is indeed the Lord of creation. He is the one who was before all of this began. He is the unspoken word, and then when he was spoken, everything came into existence. He is the one who came to make a way for you to experience eternal life. He lived a sinless life, died on the cross so that you could receive forgiveness for the sins that you committed. And he did it knowing what it would cost him. Knowing that it would be painful. Knowing that there would be people who would question and doubt and worry. But he did it out of love for you, his beloved creation. He is the Lord of the universe. And so because of that, we cry out to him that he is the Messiah. We look at the responses of the people in John chapter 7 who are all over the place who are so worried about everything and concerned and trying to figure it out. And we know the answer. He is Lord. And so if Jesus is Lord, that does a couple of things. The first thing is, you must respond in faith to him. Right? You have to express your belief that Jesus is Lord. That statement, Jesus is Lord, those three words, is the oldest confession of the church. 
right? It is what separates a Christian from anything else, right? A Muslim who has a high view of Jesus as a prophet cannot say Jesus is Lord. Because the Lord is the one who is in charge of our lives and our destiny. Jesus is Lord. And if he is Lord, and you confess that in faith, and you've come to him saying, I believe that you died on the cross, I believe that you took my sins, I trust you for that, your salvation is found because the Lordship of Jesus Christ is able, through his sacrifice, to cover your sin. But it doesn't stop there. Some of us want it to stop there. But if Jesus is Lord, it's not just Jesus is this you know, monopoly, get-out-of-hell-free card that you get. Right? And one day you'll get to the pearly gates and you'll pull it out. It'll be a little orange card. It'll be like, here you go. I got my card. I got it stamped whenever I was 14, 12, 6, whatever, uh, 38. And I, and I got it stamped and it says, uh, I don't get to go to hell because I believe Jesus is Lord. It, that's not the extent of our relationship with God. No, no we're invited into a relationship to, to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's tough for us because we're independent-minded people. I'm an independent-minded person. But when you recognize that the Lord that you're serving under is benevolent and is seeking your good and your best outcomes, it becomes a whole lot easier to follow where he says to go. We sing songs in churches, wherever he leads, I'll go, right? That's one of our songs of invitation. I love that song of invitation. Right? The idea is like, like, if Jesus tells me to go, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. And that, that's a song of following the lordship of Jesus Christ. It should be the cry of your heart. If Jesus leads you there, then you'll go there. Is it comfortable where Jesus leads you all the time? Probably not. Almost certainly not. It's not always comfortable following where Jesus wants you to be. But wherever he takes you is exactly where you're supposed to be. Because he is Lord and he loves you. And he may take you into some dark places and you may, you may feel stranded and abandoned in the dark places. I want you to know he's never left you. He is Lord of all creation. He's near to you, even in tough times. So will you follow him? Now, so you have a couple things to do today. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you today to deal with the three options that are before you for Jesus. Are you willing to say that Jesus is a crazy person and disregard the fact that his ministry is fully sane from start to finish? Are you willing to throw away all the logic that says, no, that looks like the actions of someone who actually knew what they were doing? If that's you, I want, I, want to, I want to ask you to reconsider that. Maybe, maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you just think um, that, that he's someone who, who, who was misleading people for his own benefit. I want you to analyze that closer. Do you really think that Jesus would have misled, lied to people for his benefit when his benefit ultimately was poverty and death on a cross? Does that make sense to you? Would, would you? would you do that? Would you let your lie lead you there if there was any other off-ramp from that outcome? And if there is another offering for that outcome, which there was, how can you still hold that? Consider, maybe Jesus is exactly who he said he was. He's Lord. And if you've already confessed that Jesus is Lord, if in your heart you're convinced that Jesus is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, that he's the Son of God, came to earth to bring about your salvation, if you're convinced of that, are you living under his authority today? Or are you still trying to live under yours? Are you still trying to drive your ship wherever you want it to go while still claiming that Jesus is the captain? And that, that's what I do a lot, right? Like Jesus like, hey, I'm like, ah, take this boat over here and drive this way instead. 
We all do it from time to time. We, we take control from the one who should be in control and the one who loves us and knows better than we do anyways. And so maybe there's some areas in your life where you've been disobedient to what God has been guiding you to do. Maybe it's a path that God has asked you to walk and you chose not to walk it. Maybe it's a sin that you've decided to get involved in and you've conv- inside of yourself convinced yourself uh, that it's not that big of a deal for whatever reason that you've worked through that in your head. I want you to know that, that we are to be living under the Lord Jesus Christ. That involves moral purity. It also involves uh, our life's purpose. Look, if God has called you to do something specific, right? Like uh, I heard it said, you know, if God has called you uh, to be a pastor, don't settle for being the president. Right? If God has called you to do something specific, don't settle for something that has higher honor among your peers. Follow where God has sent you to be. And that may not involve a vocation change. It may just involve a focus change in how you serve where God has you. Wherever God leads, if he is your Lord, you will 